Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. Thanks for joining us for our study of 1 Corinthians. We hope you enjoyed the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Good morning. Please take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today we finish chapter 15, uh, almost done with our journey through the whole book. And actually, I looked last night to see, like, how long have we been in 1 Corinthians? And we've been in it since January 18th. Uh, just amazing that we've been in this book that long, but really not that long. And it's, I feel like it's really flown by that we started this in January, and now it's October, and we really only have two sermons left uh, today and then next week, and then we'll begin something new. So, so today... What the Apostle Paul is doing is, if you're here last week, is he's going into great detail on the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection for all Christians that is to come. And so today, again, Paul is going to not only rebuke the Corinthians, but he's going to rebuke us. He's going to remind us and them. And I think his goal also at the same time is that he is going to, and he's aiming to, reignite the joy of the Corinthians and the joy that we have over the death of death and the victory of Jesus. Over the death of death and the victory of Jesus. So please stand with me in honor of reading of the holy word of our Lord, and we'll begin reading in verse 35, and we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter. And the Spirit says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body that he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is for one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray together. Holy Father, now, would you reveal to us this great mystery, that we would behold it, that we would believe it, that we would rejoice that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of that last trumpet, that we will be changed, and that we will be purged from sin, and that we will be made imperishable in Christ. So help us now, Lord by your spirit, to behold your word, and that we would, even now, as we behold with unveiled face the glory of the Lord, that we would be changed from one degree of glory to another until the final transformation comes. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we ask. Amen. You may be seated. A lot of the world's religions... And a lot of the world's faiths and spiritualities, their their tactics of handling the difficulty of this world is really escapism. It's it's really kind of a spiritual ostrich-like behavior. I mean, it's just trying to avoid the reality that this world is ripe with pain and difficulty and suffering. And yet... I mean, this is really, this is the way Buddhism operates. This is the way a lot of uh, spiritual, just religious things, let's just meditate, let's get transcendental, and let's get past all of these things. And, and really, a lot of Christians, we operate this way too. And a lot of our, some of our favorite hymns from history are this way. I'll fly away. Oh, glory, I'll fly away. Hallelujah, in the by and by, I'll fly away. And it's really... It's not sung in a victory chant, but also in a lament, like, finally, I'll get out of here. I'm sick of being bullied. I'm sick of being losing. And it's couched in the tone of, oh, this world is so horrible. Oh, this place is awful. We're so beaten down here. The only way I'll make it is if I could just fly away. But that isn't the victory march of the gospel. The victory that has been given us in the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't that we can now hightail it out of this God-forsaken earth. Because this earth is not God-forsaken. No, this earth is where we will live forever. This earth is God-redeemed, and we are the redeemed. And yes, we will fly away, but only to meet the Lord in the air and then come right back and live on this earth forever. The victory we have in Jesus isn't one of retreat. It's one of renewal, a victory of renewed minds, of renewed joy, and of renewed bodies. The victory we have in Jesus is now that by faith in Jesus, we are able to stare death in the eyes until it runs away with its tail between its legs and Jesus puts death in the grave. 
the more than conquerorness we now have in Jesus enables us to stand strong against the tides of the world and against the satanic powers until Jesus casts Satan, his beast, and his demons into hell forever. This is why Paul can say, we are now more than conquerors through him. And now we have victory in Jesus. Christianity doesn't try to evade the difficulties. Christianity does not try to evade the sufferings. And Christianity doesn't try to change the subject when tough questions come up. Why does this happen? Why do seemingly good, bad things happen to good people? These kinds of why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why is there sin? Christianity does not run away from those things. In fact, Christianity is the only sufficient answer to all of those questions. This life is filled with pain, sorrow, frustration. It's crushing. The Bible isn't unaware of this. Remember, Paul is the guy who got shipwrecked, who got pelted with rocks, who got run out of cities, and he says, I am more than a conqueror. He's the guy who is eventually going to get his head chopped off in Rome. And he's the guy who says, we have victory. Peter will be crucified upside down. James will be killed by a mob. John will be exiled to Patmos. And yet, these men are the ones who can say, we have victory in Jesus. Does this sound victorious? How are these men victors? What does this show us? It shows us the victory is bigger than now. It shows us the victory is beyond now. It shows us the victory is already and not yet. I feel like when we're thinking about the end, we're thinking about the resurrection, we're thinking about the new earth, I feel like my job right now as a pastor and as a steward of God's word is to kind of be like Doc Brown. Like, I've looked at the future, and now I'm telling you, Marty, where we're going, we don't need roads. uh, We're going back, we've got to look back to the future. We've got to remember what awaits us and that we are kind of the people who realize our citizenship is in another city. And that here we have no lasting city, but we know the city that is to come as, as Hebrews speaks. So right now, this victory is telling us this, the victory we have in Jesus isn't about altering the events that will come our way. It's realizing the fact that we have been altered. It's realizing the fact that we have been altered that our eternity has been altered, that we've been changed, that we've been made new, that you and I have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved son, where we will reign and rule forever with him. Living the victorious Christian life isn't one that is suffering free. If that were true, then Jesus wasn't victorious. Living the victorious Christian life doesn't mean you're free from cancer, from sickness, from pain, from suffering. The victorious Christian life is one that realizes we are not overcome because Christ overcame the worst thing that can happen to us, death. The worst thing that can happen to you has already happened to you. You've been crucified with Christ. 
and now you've been raised with him in newness of life. Christianity doesn't seek to minimize these realities we face, and we don't seek to call them something else, some kind of weird, false, peppy people. We don't call death our friend. Death is our enemy. This is verse 26, as we saw last week. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we still look at death as a foe, but as someone that has already been conquered by Christ. What Christianity does is that death doesn't end the conversation for Christians. Death is not the last nail in the coffin for Christians. What Jesus does, what the victory does, is he extends the discussion. Because look at verse 57. So Paul realizes the horrors of death, what will happen, the pain, the suffering, how it's not supposed to be this way. And verse 57, but... The gospel always brings this word in. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy. We are going to physically die, as the Bible says. I mean, the Bible gives us new categories to even think about death. The Bible doesn't stoop down to even talk about the natural ways that we die. Like, oh, they, they died. No, it says what? We have fallen asleep. It gives us new categories to think about reality. And here it is again, though you physically die, you fall asleep, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Romans 8, this is like Romans 8, the end of Romans 8, condensed down into one verse, that in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We, we have victory in Jesus, our Savior forever, who sought us and bought us with his redeeming blood. This is exactly how he continues, through whom he loved us. And I am sure, this is what God wants for you. Wants, he wants you and I to be sure of these things. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you see, this is another thing that makes Christianity so amazing, so different. It sets it apart from every other faith or religion in the world. Look at verse 57 again. How do we get the victory? But thanks be to God who gives us victory. How? Through. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we fought? No. Because we were good? No. No. Because we self-actualized and reached another pinnacle of spirituality? No. Through our good works? No. Through our morality, we got victory? No. Through our good reform theology? No. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just him. That's always him. It's all him. Jesus won. Jesus achieved the victory by his perfect, sinless life, his death on the cross to pay for our sins, and his resurrection from the dead. He conquers sin, Satan, and death, and now by God's grace, he takes the spoils of that victory, and he looks at you and me and says, here, you want it? Have the empty, open hands of faith, and I'll give it to you. Repent, let go of your ways and yourself and just open up your hands and you can receive the victory. I love what my friend Jared Wilson says. Jesus is not your co-pilot. He's in the driver's seat. 
you are in the back on a stretcher. (laughs) This is Christianity. We get the victory through Jesus, our great God and Savior. We are benefactors of the victory. We are forgiven of all of our sins, and we are promised and made co-heirs with Christ, all that is his, and that we too will rise from the dead. You have a victory in Jesus, a victory that Alexander the Great couldn't get. You have a victory in Jesus that Caesar could never accomplish. You have a victory in Jesus that Attila the Hun, Napoleon, and Patton could never achieve. You have victory in Jesus from Jesus over death. Jesus won us new bodies, reversing death. Jesus won us new bodies, reversing death. Now, if you remember last week, Paul is showing the Corinthians why it's wrong for them to dismiss and doubt their resurrection to come. And so now he's, going, he's addressing some of their other doubts, some of their other questions that they may have, and I think maybe some of the arguments that are being thrown at him. Now look at verse 35. But someone will ask, this is not a positive question. The way it's framed, it's very negative. It's, it's very kind of sarcastic. How are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come with? This is the kind of question that's like, oh yeah, we're going to rise again? What, we're going we're gonna to be like corpses coming out of the ground? This is a not like, oh, I'm, I'm really curious about this. This is the same kind of question that gets asked in John chapter 3. How, how can I be born again? What, I'm going to climb back into my mother's womb? And this is why Jesus says, how do you not understand this? You're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? And this is why Paul says in verse 36 very strongly, are you kidding me? It's a, you foolish person, you moron. I mean, this is exactly what he's saying. He, he's not thrilled with this question. There are foolish questions. He's not okay with this. So what? This is what they're saying. So what? Are we going to get up and walk around, skeletons? Are we going to be little maggot-chewed bodies walking around? Are we, are, are we going to look like zombies? Paul says, that's ridiculous. You fool, you, you ninny-muggins. We will not raise like zombies from the dead. We will rise in new bodies, reversing the effects of death, walking in supernatural and amazing bodies. Look at verse 37. Look at, look at his continuing. And what you sow, so that dead body going in the ground, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. This is why I said last week, you're like a seed of a resurrected body to come perhaps of wheat or some other grain. I actually watched YouTube videos of wheat seeds germination time-lapse over a couple of seasons and an acorn time-lapse. That's just amazing. Paul's saying, don't you see this picture in creation? God has embedded for us a metaphor in creation, a seed going into the ground, becoming this massive tree. It's the same, but it's different. Same properties, but it's a different property as well. It's something else. It's something bigger, something greater, something stronger. Paul says, you see this all the time. So to our bodies right now, you're, you're a kernel of the amazingness that is to be. He, Jesus is going to reverse the imprints and the effects of death on us. Look at verse 42. 
So it is with the resurrection of the dead, as he talks about all these different bodies and seeds and suns and stars, how they're all different. So it is with us. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, that's death, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body, this this amazing body, this spiritual, not just like a spirit, like a kind of intangible, because this is a spiritual body, it's physical, but it's an eternity-ready body. So right now, I mean, you know this about your body, especially if you're like over 20, 25. I mean, I'm 31. I have a bulging disc in my back on my sciatic nerve. I know my body is perishable. And I, I don't even know what I did. I think I just got in a car weird. Our bodies are perishable, but we know what perishable means. Every can drive your, your kid's school has or our church has what? We need non-perishable food items. Things that will not go bad. Food that won't grow other kind of food on top of it. Our bodies are perishable. They fall apart. Our eyes need help. Our skin needs moisturizer. Bones need calcium. Muscles get achy. We get exhausted. Especially if you have young kids or kids and you put them in bed at night and you come down and you sit on the couch, what do you do? Oh, and you sit down. Hard day at work, you get in bed. Oh, yeah. You're exhausted. We're exhausted people. We get weak, we get broken, we get grumpy. And really, our, bo- our bodies, we are just careening towards uselessness. You realize this about yourself? We're all careening towards uselessness. That we will get so old where we can't drive. We can't open a can. Say, yes, I'm I'm already there. (laughs) And like like we're getting to some of these, just our bodies, we are are perishable people. This is just reality. And Solomon, Ecclesiastes, does an amazing job talking about this. He talks about teeth chattering and, and his windows not working. But we will, at the resurrection, you will put on the imperishable. Oh, my goodness. I mean, think about this. Can you imagine this? The reversal is coming. You will, be, you will go from weakness to filled with vitality. You won't get exhausted. You, you won't need glasses. You won't break your arm. You won't wrench your back lifting a box. I love the way Paul talks about it in Philippians 3, that we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he going to do? Well, why, why are we so eager? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The cosmic power that Christ has will come out in full force in changing you. He reigns over the whole universe, and he says, I'm going to take that power and authority, and I'm dumping it on Metters. I'm dumping it on Richter. I'm dumping it on Moore. A flip is coming. We will have glorified bodies like Jesus. We won't have a body like Adam of Eden. We'll have the man of earth. We'll have a body like Jesus of Nazareth, the man of heaven. That's what verses 45 to 48 is showing us. We're like Adam now, but we're going to be like Jesus then. 
think about this. I thought about this yesterday. When you fly on an airplane, sometimes your ears pop. You get this weird like pressure thing happening. Why? Our bodies are not meant to be up in the sky like that. Now remember, Jesus dies, he resurrects, and what happens? He ascends into heaven. He flies away. And his, his body can now withstand this atmospheric pressure. His, his body can not only withstand flight and atmospheric pressure, but, but now he can, his body can handle travel through the space and time continuum. And now he's in this spiritual place, heaven, and his body is able to survive there. That's the kind of body we will have. I don't think we're going to be able to fly. I think he can do that because he's God. But I think we're, we're going to be able to travel to Mars and all these kinds of places, and I don't think we're going to need spacesuits. Because we will, be, we will be imperishable. We'll be able to withstand the entire universe. Our bodies are going to be like his. Testimonies to God's power. Look at verse 43. It's sown in dishonor, but what? Raised in glory. Everything about us will be made new. We are functioning like we were meant to and then some. Sown in weakness. Sometimes you hear at a funeral, like when, the, when the, it's open casket and the body is there, and like, oh man, he looks so good. I, that's not the first thing that came to my mind. But raised in power. So glory and power are what await us, given a gift to us from Jesus. And I love the way Spurgeon thinks about the resurrection to come. He says, well, the body is going to be changed. What alteration will it undergo? It will be rendered perfect. The body of a child will be fully developed. And the dwarf will attain to full stature. The blind shall not be sightless in heaven. Neither shall the lame be halted. Nor shall the palsied tremble. The deaf shall hear. The mute shall sing God's praises. We shall carry none of our deficiencies or infirmities to eternity. There we shall know not an aching brow or a weak knee or a failing eye. The inhabitants shall say no more, I am sick. It shall be an impassive body, a body that will be incapable of any kind of suffering, no palpitating heart, no sinking spirit, no aching limbs, no lethargic soul will worry us there. No, we shall be perfectly delivered from every evil of that kind. Moreover, it shall be an immortal body. Our risen bodies shall not be capable of decay, much less of death. There are no graves in glory. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord, for their bodies shall rise never to know death or corruption a second time. No smell of corruption will remain upon those whom Jesus will call from the tomb. The risen body shall be greatly increased in power. It is sown in weakness, says Scripture, but it is raised in power. I suppose there will be a wonderful agility about our renovated frame. Probably it will be able to move as swiftly as lightning, because that's what the angels do. They move from place to place, and maybe we will too as well. It will be a glorious body, raised in honor, raised in glory, so that our whole person shall participate of the wonderful depth of bliss that is summed up in the word glory. And think about our Lord in the Gospels, when he healed the man with a crippled hand, and he told the paralytic man to get up and walk. 
He's showing us what our resurrection will be like. And there was a, this past summer, a little boy, he got really sick when he was two and the infection, he lost his hands and his, I think below the knees down. And medical wonder this past summer, they were actually able to transplant hands onto his arms. Donated real human hands, reattached through his body, 24-hour surgery, and now he has hands that work with him and will grow with him and are his. And I sat and watched this video with a big old smile on my face. I thought, that's a picture of what's to come. Those of us that we know, that we love, that are in Christ, and that we have these weaknesses, we have these frailties, we have disabilities, gone. There will, there will be no handicap parking in glory. We won't we need it. And I love to think about all the things that there won't be. There won't be pharmacies. No wheelchairs. No flu shots. No allergy medicine. And I'm like super allergy medicine needed right now. No nose spray, no tummy aches. And I thought, there will be no gluten sensitivities. There will not be a single gluten-free food available in the new earth. Your new body will be able to handle it. Jesus won the victory over all food allergies too. Complete victory, sin, pain, death, all gone. And look at verse 51. He says, behold. So every time the Bible says behold, he's, meant, he's trying to like, guys, listen, be excited, pay attention to this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So he's telling some of the Corinthians and he's telling some of us, he's saying, whenever Jesus comes, not, not every Christian's going to die. There'll be some Christians who they are still alive at his appearing. And in 1 Thessalonians, he says, then the dead in Christ will rise, they will be changed, and then we will be changed if we're still alive when the Lord Jesus returns. We will all be changed. We will be made new. Ready, eternity ready bodies. And not only will the resurrection to come reverse the effects of death, but it'll kill death. Our resurrection is the final turn of the keys, nuclear keys, in the throne room. And the destruction of death will be final once and for all. Jesus won us new bodies, destroying death. So look at verse 51 again. Behold, I tell you a mystery. How exciting of Paul. I'm going to tell you a mystery. He wants us to be pumped about what's to happen. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. So when's this going to happen? Just going to take a moment. Just one, one second. How long? How long is this moment, Paul? In the twinkling of an eye. What is that? What a phrase that is, too. Literally, it's the time it takes for you to look at something else. You're looking that way. Oh, boom, done. In the twinkling of an eye. One eye move. It could be one eyelid, just one little blink, flutter. What a miracle this is. The power of God. In a moment, a twinkling of an eye. And the victorious Christian life is really the miraculous life in the hands of Almighty God. The trumpet will sound. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. The trumpet will sound. Like a, a metaphor for the battle. Troops hear a trumpet in the middle of the night. What do they do? They, do they pull the sheets over and go, oh, five more minutes? 
No. They get up. Let's go. Let's go. That trumpet will sound, and the Lord will descend. And if you have already gone to sleep, you will open up. And I think you'll already be standing on earth, and you're like, oh, here we go. And you meet the Lord in the air. And then you come right back down to be with him forever. You will be transformed. And when that last trumpet sounds, he's calling us out. It's kind of the, the alarm clock of the final trumpet, waking us up from death. And then when he, that happens, death will be destroyed. He will destroy death. Death is swallowed up in that victory. Look at verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable at our resurrection, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. We will rise and then Jesus will spit on death's grave when we rise. Its tyranny is done. Can you picture this? And can you picture this moment? You you must. By by faith, you must. Does this calm your soul? You get a behold moment. Whoa. This is the victory that we have in Jesus. Make you excited for eternity because that's when the gospel's victory will be finally realized. The trump resounds, your eyes are flung open, and there you are resurrected, ready for eternal life on the new earth. (coughs) Or maybe you've been in heaven with the Lord. Oh, trumpet's going, boom, and you're back in your body. It's still your body, but it's all new. And there's your friends who've loved Jesus that you know. And there's Moses. And then there's Gideon. And then there's Lazarus. And then there's Martin Luther. And then Jonathan Edwards. And then the Apostle Paul. And then there's Jesus. Our big brother. And what does he accomplish for us? Look at the end of 54 again. Death is swallowed up in victory. In verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul is taunting death here. You lose death. Paul's taunting it. He's taking a quote from Hosea 13 where God is talking about the power that death has, saying he, death has a sting and that death has this victory now in Israel as judgment is being executed. So Paul takes that, knows it's true that death does have a victory and that death does have a sting right now, and he takes it and he spins it and says, oh, death, you remember when you had victory? Oh, death, you remember when you had a sting? It's gone. You lose. We win because of Jesus. No more stinger. Death no, is, is no more like a bee that has this sting that hurts. Now it's just like this annoying housefly. And Jesus removed the sting of death, ripped its stinger out. He absorbed all the poison of death on, in our place, on our behalf. And now he says, I have the antidote for you me. That's why I love that old hymn, Victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath his cleansing blood.
This is our victory. The victorious Christian life is not one of great success here, one of great wealth and great power here. The victorious Christian life is one where we are conquerors over death, reigning with Christ forever. And Paul realizes this. It's from Isaiah, from Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. What? He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in him. Guys, this is the Lord. This is Christianity. This is Jesus himself. Are you glad? Are you rejoicing in his salvation? Or is it just something you're like, man, this is too much for me? Then keep looking till you see. What a Savior we have. What a great God we have. There is no limit to his grace. He grants us eternal life. And then he says, I want you to rejoice and to be glad. And I love how, see, see how he will wipe away all the tears from our faces? Sadness is also swallowed up in victory. Sadness is also swallowed up by the joy from our great God and Savior. This is in, this is in Isaiah, but it's also in Revelation 21. Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Is this your future? It is only yours if you've believed in Christ. If you've looked to him for salvation, if you've looked to his cross to pay and forgive your sins, his resurrection for new life, to give you a new and eternal life, and you see how loving God is. Then he says, I, don't, he, I want to lift all of your burdens off of you. I want to unburden you. I want to free you from your pain. I want to free you from your own guilt. And I want you to walk in your master's joy forever. Not only, Paul, Paul wants us who are now coming back from the future. I mean, you're looking at the future. Where you're, you're like, you're looking through a time portal right now by faith of what is to come. Now Paul says, now how should I live today? So how do I live in the already but not yet? You realize that Jesus won us for his fame. Look at verse 58, the last verse of the passage. Therefore, oh, there it is. Verses 1 to 57, now here is the therefore. Since all of this is true, since you're perishable, but you're putting on the imperishable, since you're mortal and you're going to put on immortality, since all of this is true, now what? Therefore, since you have victory, 
be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast. This is, this is all the way back to verse 2. Hold fast to the word I preach to you. Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the truth that I am saved by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Hold fast. Be anchored to him. Keep the main thing the main thing. Christ's death for your sins and his resurrection. That you have, be steadfast, that you have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Especially if you've been Christians, if you've been a Christian for more than five years, 10 years, 12 years, you, you start to kind of lose your sight of the main thing. Forgetting that I have victory only in Jesus, not in how good I am. Not in how I don't sin like other people. Not in how many Bible verses I know. But my confidence, my victory is not in the armor. It's not in the slingshot. It's not in the size of my army. It's not in the size of my skills. It's not the size of any of that stuff. But in Jesus alone. Not your good works, not your good theology. Christ alone. Be immovable that you've built your life on the rock, not on the sand, and that when the storms come, you're immovable. You're not tossed to and fro by the shifting winds. You're not moved to the side when pain, suffering, you're like Job, steadfast, immovable. You win over death. What else is there to worry about? I mean, really? How do you intimidate someone who's a victor over death? Do you realize what a being a victor over death gives you now? You are released from silly and petty frustrations to death. I can't believe they put whip on my pumpkin spice latte. I mean, of course they did. This whole day's been not been going my way. Hey, you have victory over death. Get some perspective, okay? <laughs> I mean, you see, this is how, be steadfast, immovable. Oh, this is not going away. Everything's going your way now in Christ, ultimately. Oh, the whole entire arc of your life is landing with you reigning and ruling with Jesus forever. Oh, this traffic, I hate this. Of course this would happen to me. Hey, we live in the greater Houston area, okay? And this happens to everyone, <laughs> Realize when you are in traffic, you are someone else's traffic. <laughs> and you know what's going to happen to you? You are going to raise from the dead and reign with Jesus. So you get a new perspective, steadfast, immovable. And what does this lead to? The last part. It's amazing how Paul brings this in. Always abounding on the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Paul says, now abound in doing good works, being on mission for his fame. Paul says, Jesus won you for his name and for his fame now. So always abound in the work of the Lord. Make much of him now. Abound in it. Be bold, be courageous, evangelize, share the gospel, go to the nations, give, abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you've won the victory. 
This is why, as Piper says, we can live radical, risk-taking faith because it's one. It's like when a football team is up 70 to nothing. They go, oh, let's try some trick plays. You want to do some trick plays? Yeah, sure, why not? Let's have the running back do something crazy today. Why? Because we've won. It's over. We can do all kinds of neat and crazy stuff now. So if we aren't abounding in mission to make much of Jesus, are we living in light of the resurrection? If we aren't in awe of the victory, we will not abound in the work of the Lord. When we aren't in awe, we're very timid. This is why Paul lived the way he did. This is why Peter went from someone who denied Jesus three times to preaching to thousands, to being willing to be crucified upside down. Because he was, I know I'm a victor. I can abound in the work of the Lord. You want to evangelize that one person you've been praying for? In light of the victory over death, you can get over the awkwardness. Don't let the awkwardness of interpersonal communication trump the victory you have in resurrection. And know that your work on the Lord is not in vain. You're empowered by the Lord Jesus. So go. You can make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching people to observe all that he's commanded us. Why? Because he is with us always, even till the end of the age and beyond. So now, friends, let's live steadfastly. Let's be immovable, making much of him till that trumpet sounds. Because we know that the death of death happened and the victory of Jesus. Let's pray.